Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Good morning. Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. Fuzzy Wuzzy had no hair. Then who was he? Anybody know? Fuzzy! No. So a long time ago, see, this is the kind of thing that I have to do. In like three minutes, I've got to get a whole room of strangers to actually listen to me for 30 minutes and halfway care. So let's start with Fuzzy Wuzzy. Years ago, there was a guy named Rudyard. Can you imagine growing up like I was Charles? I am Charles. But growing up is Charles Chucky Cheese, Chunky Charlie, Charlie Chard. I mean, Charles was a hard name to grow up with. Well, can you imagine growing up Rudyard? I mean, like, hey, Barnyard, you know, all this kind of stuff. I could think of like 10 junior high things I could do with that name real quick. But he got famous. Why? Because he was an explorer. He explored India. And he wrote a story about a feral child raised by wolves. We know the story because all of our kids watch... The Jungle Book. That's right. He wrote The Jungle Book. He also explored Africa. Came across the desert. Why you would ever explore the desert? I never understood. Because the desert, like you've been there. Okay, there's sand. I got it. Move on. But he explored eastern Sudan. Came to the shore and he met a tribe of tall people. Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. They were smooth-skinned people. Fuzzy Wuzzy had no hair. To this day, they wear swords on their backs and knives up their sleeves. And there were such fierce warriors that they fought with the British and turned the tide against several major Arab battles that they fought. But he wasn't called Fuzzy Wuzzy because he was fierce or because he had a sword on his back, knife up his sleeve, but because the entire tribe all wear afros. So Fuzzy Wuzzy, so if you look up Fuzzy Wuzzy, they are part of the Hendendo tribe. Why do I mention them on a morning like this? Because let's count the number of believers in Jesus among that tribe of 100,000 people. How long do you think it will take us to get there? Let's start together. Ready? One, two. Under two. Under, under a handful. Under a handful. The sad thing that my friends is that for much of the world today the name of Jesus is simply a swear word in an American movie. That's the only time they'll ever hear the name of Jesus. For many other people the name of Jesus is just some religious iconography I think is the word. Iconography. I can't talk. So let me introduce my family before that because they're much, uh, that'll, that'll help me get started. But uh, so my family's here with me this morning. They don't always get to try, but we actually live in the Elk River. And so anybody, anybody go to the Elk River schools? A couple kids? Nope, nobody goes to Elk River. Okay, sorry, we crossed the border. We'll go back home afterwards. Please don't stone us while you're in your area. But uh, this is my family. So on the right, we have Alana. Alana is 11. She's in fifth grade. She's my creative artist, Butterfly. She's going to be the ocean for uh, Halloween. I don't know how you figure that out, but that's, that's kind of what she's doing. She's designing her own outfit with fish swimming on it and stuff. So that's Alana. Riley's in the middle. Riley likes football, school Vikings. I don't know. It's somehow, ooh, wow. That was like, are we Packer fans here? We just don't care and want to go fishing? Yay. <laughs> there we go. All right. 
Uh, my wife, Tanya, Tanya and I met as kids. Don't send your kids to camp. That's I know youth camp's great, but I met Tanya when I was 12 years old. Fell in love. She didn't even like boys. Uh, then uh, five years later, we're both missionary kids, grew up overseas. She in Africa, me in Europe. Five minutes years later, went back to the same camp, fell in love again. She did too, but not with me. Um, <laughs> but fortunately, childhood romances, some of them don't work out, and uh, went to college, got, um, finally after a couple years, God spoke to her and said, hey, you know that guy? Yeah, he's the one for you. So she said, okay, Lord, married us, and here we are 22 years later with three kids. The little guy on your right, my left, is Joshua. He's not so little anymore. He's about 16, uh, sophomore at Elk River High School, and uh, he has muscular dystrophy. So that's the reason for the wheelchair, and uh, we'll talk about that later on during the sermon. So um, I want to let you know a couple things uh, about us, but I want to do it in the context of kind of what we're talking about this morning, which is, what do you do when you're scared? What do you do when you can't figure out what to do? In 2003, I was uh, working in Sudan. We'd actually just left Sudan, and I'll tell you the story here in a minute. And a buddy showed up, and he said, Charles, let's go whitewater rafting on the Nile. Sounded cool, right? Some of you are like, no, that doesn't sound cool. But I was still trying to be cool, and he was younger than me. And so he's like, come on, you're not afraid. And I'm like, no, I'm not afraid. So we hopped on a bus, went eight, hour for eight hours from Nairobi, Kenya to Jinja, uh, Uganda, stayed the night, got up the next morning. We're about to get on the thing, and they said, hey, for an extra 50 bucks, you can bungee jump. And I'm like, No. <laughs> but I must admit that I'm not above peer pressure. And peer pressure had Joe saying, Charles, you're going to do it. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Sure, I'm going to do it. I let Joe, literally, I am not lying. I let Joe get two in line in front of me so that he would pay for his bungee jumping. I would get up there and pretend that it was too expensive. And then I was going to blame my wife, like every cowardly man does. I was going to blame my wife that it was too expensive and that my wife wouldn't let me do it. Right? So he's two in front of me. I hear Joe in line. He's two in front of me. He goes, two for whitewater rafting, two for bungee jumping. Charles, just pay me back when we get home. What do I do now? <laughs> he's paid. And the only thing I am worse than a coward, it's cheap. So he paid, so I'm going to do the stupid thing. So I end up on a platform 44 meters above the Nile River with a choice to make. What are you going to do? So here's what I did. Let's show that video. This is my buddy Joe. The guy before him literally peed his pants on the way down. I'm not kidding you. So this is 44 meters, what is about 150 feet above the Nile River. That's me going, what have I gotten myself into? What have I gotten myself into? And there we go. I actually did it. I jumped. I didn't do the kiss of death where you put your face in the water. But what the, the scariest part about bungee jumping is not the jump. It's the bounce. Because you go almost all the way up to the platform. You're afraid you're going to hit your head. And then you go again. And so so that was my day and then later on I got sucked under the Nile and it, yeah I almost died multiple times this day it was crazy okay so what on earth does that have to do with following Jesus Charles I'm not sure but it was a cool video so I thought I <laughs> no not really not really I wanted to let um, I'm going to talk this morning about being led by the Holy Spirit being led by the Holy Spirit when you don't know which way to go when you don't know which way to go um, I've talked about my family a little bit, but this morning we're, we're in church, right? We should probably look at the Bible. 
Yeah, that's always a good thing. So Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I want to take a little journey through the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, for those of you who might be new to this whole Jesus thing, Paul came after Jesus. About 2,000 years ago, a guy was born of a virgin. You've heard of him. His name is Jesus Christ, right? Lived a perfect, sinless life, died on a cross, suffered, persecuted, innocent man. And then three days later, he came back from the grave to prove that he was who he said he was, namely the Savior of the world, come to redeem mankind or to reconnect us with God. Through his blood, we have forgiveness of our sins. Then, Jesus comes off, comes back three days later, and he starts telling his disciples, Okay, go tell the whole world about Jesus, about me. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, pata ethne, every single ethnic group. So what did they do? They hung out in Jerusalem. And then 10 days later, this really weird thing happens called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes down and they start speaking in the languages of the nations surrounding them that have yet to hear about the message of the gospel. Do you think at that point they would take it a sign that God wants us to go tell people about Jesus? No. What did they do? They hung out in Jerusalem. Kind of getting a pattern. So what happens? God makes it a little rough. Persecution comes, the church spreads. And it, I was always going to, youth pastor things made me think about like bad jokes about, you know, Papa Zit and they spread or something. I don't know. I'll try. You adults, I don't have a metaphor that works, okay? All right? So the church spreads. But what happens with the church is that it spreads organically. Which means that somebody would go over here and then they would start a little church and somebody would go a little further or they'd move for the job. But it wasn't very strategic. And the church was moving very, very slowly. And then when they get to Antioch, they begin to cross cultural barriers. It's in Antioch that they go from being a Jewish sect led by Jewish men in a Jewish area to stepping across. And if you are German, Swede, Norwegian, come on, keep the hands up. English, Irish, British, mutt like me. You know, if you're anything but Jewish, raise your hand. Okay, if you, you you're a Jew, that's really cool. Man, we got a full-blooded Jewish guy over here. He didn't raise his hand. All right. <laughs> But if you're anything but a full-blooded Jew today, you're here because not Jerusalem, but because of Antioch. That's where they crossed over the barriers and the gospel began going to people who were not Jewish. So all that to say, then, you know, they kind of put, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, okay guys, enough. This is taking forever. This whole organic growth is okay. But now we want to be strategic. We want to move forward. The Holy Spirit says, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I'm going to do with them. Two more opposite guys you couldn't meet. Barnabas is a really nice guy. I mean, that's not even his name. His name is Joseph. But he's such, they call him son of encouragement. He was just like really, like he helped people. And then on the other side, you have Saul. The only way to describe Saul is... I mean, literally, before he became a follower of Jesus... He went around killing Christians, breathing murderous threats, the Bible says. Everywhere he goes, he's like, ah! And then he gets saved, and guess what Paul's like? Ah! 
He doesn't change. He just does it for Jesus instead of against Jesus. And so you put these two people in a team. It's kind of a weird mix, don't you think? And the Holy Spirit says, send them out. So they go out and they plant some churches and they come home. And then guess what happens? They have a fight. Christians never fight, right? Right? Are you married to a Christian? No, I mean... (laughs) So you married like, what? Okay. Don't get personal here, Charles. And they, the fight is so bad that they split. The interesting thing is the Bible never said who's wrong. It just said they had a split. Barnabas goes one way with John Mark. Paul chooses a guy named Silas. And they go back to where they're going. And this is where I want to pick up the story in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Oh, by the way, we have these cards Why? Because I believe that prayer makes a difference. So, like, if something happens when you pray, something doesn't when you don't. The logic works, right? If something happens when you pray, something doesn't when you don't. So we'd like to ask you very fervently, would you pray for our family? So when we're going out, my kids, we're real cute over there and they hate this, but I make them do it anyway, so I'll give them two bucks each for doing it. Yeah, now they're happy, see? (laughs) Okay, they're going to hand every one of you a card. And if you could take these and make this part of your missionary prayers, we'd sure appreciate it. We also got all the social media stuff online that you can follow us and keep up with there. Um, And a few verses in Acts chapter 16, it said, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, for they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Concluding that God had called us. You think? Really? Concluding that God. Let me ask you this. Why would God keep people from preaching the gospel to people who don't know Jesus? If you put the map up there, I'll show you a little bit of what's happening here. So Jerusalem, that's where the church is born. This is the Mediterranean Sea. You go up north, where is modern day Syria? Antioch. Paul and Barnabas and his team leave there and they go up. Iconium, Derby, Cilicia, that's the first missionary trip. So they go back and they visit their friends. And then they go a little further. Most scholars think that they're trying to get to Ephesus. Ephesus is the cultural hub of what's happening in what this is called Asia Minor. So when they use the word Asia, don't think big Asia. Think sub-region in Turkey. Okay? I know it's weird, it's hard to put our heads around that. But they're trying, they're going up, they're trying to go around the mountains down into Ephesus. Paul wants to get to Ephesus because Ephesus is where everything's going to happen. Ephesus is where he starts a Bible school. Ephesus is where really the world gets turned upside down. Makes sense to go to Ephesus. But to get to Ephesus, you have to go through Asia. Paul wants to preach the gospel everywhere he goes. And Jesus says, nope, don't tell those people about me. Is that weird? Don't go there. Nobody knows about me. Don't go there. What? And so they're like, okay, we got it wrong. Let's go the opposite direction. Let's go north into Bithynia. Nope, don't go there either. Wait, nobody there knows Jesus. Why can't I go there? I've got some ideas here. Paul and Barnabas are sent out by God. They are empowered by God. 
They're anointed by God. Paul at one point is such a godly man that his sweat heals people. Now Derek, I don't know about you, but nobody's ever picked up one of my sweat rags and thought, slap it on somebody and make them better. Right? And it's not because I don't aspire to be a godly man, but that's just gross. Right? Who's the first guy who said, hey, let's take a nasty rag and slap it on somebody? Paul is led by the Spirit. How come he can't figure out what God's doing? How come two apostles of the church can't figure out what God is doing? Sometimes it's not as easy as what we think to figure out what God's doing. My wife and I started missions this spring. It'll be 20 years ago. I know I started when I was three. We started, we'd been associate pastors in the Twin Cities. We went down to Springfield and said, we'd like to go to this certain area. Met with a leader and he goes, no. No? What do you mean? I'm God's man. I'm called by God. I have a clear missionary calling. Those people there need Jesus. Why can't I go? No. So we went home. No, we didn't go home. We went down the hall. We sat down with a leader from Africa and he says, why don't you go to Sudan? And I said, no. <laughs> like, have you been to Sudan? Probably not. This is the year 2000. You know who's living there at the time? Osama bin Laden is living there at the time. Like, this is right before September 11th. Al-Qaeda is going crazy. You want to go to Sudan? No. And then... He says, he plays the the trump card that every pastor will play with you. He says, why don't you just pray about it? (sighs) Really? Really? Because you know what's going to happen when you pray about it, right? Yeah? So we go home and we pray about it. But we do this thing. It's called the, the lack of faith thing. The lack of faith thing is you do the Gideon. You know, God, if you answer this prayer, I'll do this. So we laid out all these prayer requests and we sent an email off to Sudan because we actually supported the only family that was there. We started as college students giving $30 a month to missions to a missionary. We sent off an email and we said, well, if we get an answer in the morning, we'll know that it's God. Yeah, unlikely, right? Because it'll get there in the middle of the night. He'll be busy. Guess what? We got up in the morning, every single question answered. Great. So we go in the next, I guess we're going to Sudan. And you would think because we had the will of God, God actually gave a dream to a lady in my church. They did, the church was praying for us. They didn't know where we were going. This Julie Covert went to our pastor while we were down having mission leaders, a meeting with mission leaders, and said, where are Charles and Tanya going? He said, well, I think, but I can't tell you yet. And he, she goes, because I dream they're going to Sudan. Yeah. Pretty clear that God wanted us to be there. And yet we go there, and it was tough. It was hot. It was miserable. And in two years, we only saw one person come to faith in Jesus. Young man named Muhammad. I sat down. He goes, I'm looking for the truth. I said, well, I know a guy who said he is the truth. His name's Jesus. Why are you think you're looking for him? He goes, yeah, I think I am. He gave his life to Jesus. But the other two, the rest of the two years was just learning Arabic. It's hard. It's choked half the time. It's hard learning Arabic. It's 140 degrees. I mean, I know we say it gets hot in Minnesota. No, it doesn't. Not that hot. Trust me. It's miserable. It was hot. And then things got bad. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Point one. And put that up there. 
Even godly men and women sometimes struggle to get God's direction and timing right. Just because you can't figure out what God's doing doesn't mean that you're not in God's will. Sometimes the no must be there before the go. I don't know about you, but I don't always know when I'm in the will of God. But I certainly know when I'm out. Those of you married, guys, you don't always know if your wife's happy, but you do know when she's unhappy. (laughs) Don't laugh, you'll be in trouble later, okay? (laughs) Right? There's something we know, sometimes the no gives us more guidance. Kids, your mom and dad, right? You don't always know if... But when you walk in and dad's got the dad face on you know something's gone wrong, okay? In the same way, sometimes God uses no before he tells us go. And we get confused and we think that because we've gotten a no, that we're out of the will of God and we just want to quit. When God's preparing a place for us. Second point, getting it wrong doesn't mean that you stop. We went to Sudan two years I'd like to say we succeeded, but it was hard. And I called my boss after two years, and for a number of reasons, I said, I quit. I quit. I'm done. I can't take this anymore. I want to go home to America, and I just want to work a job. I quit. He said, well, come down to Kenya and get some counseling. So we did. We went down to Kenya. We got some counseling. They had a counselor there. And while we were there... My wife convinced me to go down to an orphanage. Now, you've got to understand a little backstory. We've been married for about seven years, hadn't been able to have kids, had faced tremendous pressure and culture about having kids and a woman's value, and, and Africa is based on your ability to have kids. My wife had been really pressured, very unhealthy environment. But ten years before, God had given her a dream, and in that dream, God had said, I'm going to give you three kids, and one will be a son. His name is Joshua. And the kicker moment for me when I called my boss and said I was going to quit in Sudan was when Tanya miscarried. We had tried in vitro. We miscarried. August 13, remember that day. Because three months later, we walk into an orphanage. And they bring out three little babies. Tanya's off playing with a little girl. And they put a little boy in my hands. And they said, this guy's name is Joshua. And he was born August 13th. The same day that we thought God was saying no. The same day we thought that our lives and our plans and our future was falling apart. God was working things out in His timing and in His way. So which brings me to point number two. Sometimes the issue is timing. If we hadn't been there at that place at that time, you know what wouldn't have happened? A ministry would not have started called The Journey. Partnered with some other missionaries on the campuses. It's now on multiple campuses and they've recently launched a church. Hundreds and hundreds of students in the last 15 years have found Jesus and been discipled and released into ministry. Why? Because we thought we got it wrong. And we brought Joshua into our lives and he was adopted and been an amazing. Our family would not be complete without Joshua. All because we got it, thought we got it wrong. But the issue was timing. You see, Paul would get to Ephesus. But first, he had to go through Greece. 
What's important to that? Why should it make a difference to me and you? Because not only did Europe receive the gospel, which most of us are from European descent, so the gospel came to us because Paul crossed over, but... We have the book of Philippians. We have First and Second Corinthians, First and Second Thessalonians. We have the book of Colossians. We have all of these books that came to us because Paul couldn't figure out what God was doing. And Paul ends up in Ephesus. And from Ephesus, young people are sent out to plant the church. How do we know this? Because we have a book called the book of Revelation. In the New Testament. And in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, there are letters to the church in Smyrna, which is in Asia. Laodicea, which is in Thyatira, which is in Asia. God loves the people of Asia. God had a plan for the people of Asia, but God needed us to have the book of Philippians and Corinthians and Thessalonians. God loves people, but He has a plan, which brings us to our next point. Being led by the Spirit means that need isn't the primary driver. The Holy Spirit is. If we're always led by only need, it becomes knee-jerk, and we never do anything strategic. If need was the primary driver, we would never leave this room. Because I can guarantee you there's plenty of need in this room. There's marriages that need healing today. There's parent-child relationships. There's finances that are broken. There's physical bodies that need a touch from God. And I want to tell you that God does care and God does have a plan for your life. God has a plan to meet those needs. But sometimes you need to go through Greece to get to Ephesus. Sometimes the timing is the issue, not the need. And being a follower of Jesus Christ means that we must be led by the Spirit but keep our heart right. We have to keep a heart for the need. Paul always had a heart for the Jewish people. He says so very clearly. He never abandons his passionate love for the Jewish people. But he's sent to the nations of the world. The needs in our communities are great. The drugs that are around us. The pornography. All of these things that are needs. Those are things that Tanya and I have a deep heart for. But that's not what he's called us to do. The Spirit has led us to be there and so the spirit led us on we thought we'd go back to Nairobi but the door was closed so we went to Tanzania we planted a church God was faithful people came to Jesus it was really really cool what do I mean by this I want to say make sure you understand this just because you're in the will of God though doesn't mean that it gets easier sometimes it gets harder Paul clear vision of a man from Macedonia. Probably a Greek guy. Anybody know some Greeks? I have some friends who are Greek and man, they are just striking looking people. You can tell Greek people. Okay? Kind of like some of you Swedish people. We can just tell you're from Sweden. Alright? I don't know why, but it's just, it's not the accent either. Okay? It's just we know. Okay, well the Greek, very distinctive people. Paul lands in Philippi. We think it should be good, right? Because if you read the book of Philippians, it's like a fuzzy, warm love letter. You know, it's just, oh, it's all soft and gushy and warm. And You know what happened to Paul in Philippi? He shows up and they beat the snot out of him. They literally 
pounded on him and then threw him in jail and put him in stocks. That means he couldn't even move his arms. And at midnight, the dude's worshiping Jesus. Why? Because he knows God has got a plan. God has put him there. And his circumstances don't determine whether God has a plan. So often I think people look at their lives and they say, Oh God, it's hard right now. I must have missed your will. And he says, It's hard right now. This is my will. Because out of this, it's going to come a thing of beauty. And so often we, our filters are that if it's tough, it means we missed it. Rather than if it's tough, maybe we're actually doing the right thing. Now, if you're sinning and you're, you know, being stupid, yeah, that's your own fault, okay? Right? If you're, if you're messing up, and that, but understand that not everything is because it's wrong. Sometimes it's tough because it's right. Sometimes things are hard at school because you're trying to live for Jesus. And God wants to make a difference. Sometimes things are tense at work. Because you are trying to live a different... And your light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't like it. Sometimes it's physically hard because you're bearing the burdens of other people. So we did all of that. Keep moving. Keep moving. Sometimes the issue is timing. Sometimes the location is surprising. A couple years ago, somebody came to me and they said, Charles, would you ever consider going to Canada? I'm like, yeah, I'll go to Canada. I'll go fishing. That's great. <laughs> I was a guy in a church. Man, I love to fish. Chris and I get along. I love fishing. Once a year, they go up to Canada. I hop in the car with them because I don't have a boat. I don't have rods. I don't have anything. But they've got all that. So I just ride in their boat and fish for a week. It's, it's not really fishing. It's more like catching. Okay? In Minnesota, we fish. Right? In Canada, you catch. Because if you get on them, you're just boom, boom. It's like, oh, another one? Seriously? Okay? So, uh, that's kind of how it works. But Canada, mission field? No, that's not what we're... No, we're not interested. That's like, you know, the 51st state. We should just annex it. <laughs> I said, would you go up there? Would you look? So Tanya and I had some ministry to do out east. We preached at a French church. And we said, you know, it's almost as cl- close to drive back through Montreal as it is to drive through the uh, south of the Great Lakes. Literally, Montreal is at the, not north, not south of here. It's directly east. Isn't that weird? It's directly east of where we're at right here. So we drove through. We found a city of 4 million people. Fewer than 3% would attend church Fewer than 1% would attend church. Put those stats up there. Fewer than 3% would say, I know anything about a relation, personal saving relationship with Jesus. We drove city block after city block after city block after city block. It's a huge city. And we met with leaders and they said, would you please come? Would you please come and help us? And I can't say it was a Macedonian call. But I can say that we clearly heard the invitation to come and serve Jesus. And so that's what my family and I are going to be involved in. We're going to be involved in church planting. We're going to be involved in um, university ministries because that's what we've done before. And uh, I know you guys support missionaries. I know you love missionaries. We hope that we become part of that. Hope that you give. Uh, Hope you give generously. But that's not why I'm here this morning. 
I'm here this morning to say, you know what, some of you, I think, are like Tanya and I. (laughs) At times you've struggled to figure out the will of God. And you're like, God, what are you doing? Everywhere I turn, it seems like no. Everything I try, it seems like it's not working. And I'm here to tell you this morning that just because you don't see the will of God doesn't mean you're not in the will of God. God has not left you. God is with you. And He's putting you, not changing your direction, but a slight redirection. He's walking with you in the midst of the confusion. I'm here to tell you this morning that God is a God of timing. That your life matters. One of my favorite missionary stories is a guy named Raymond Lull. Raymond Lull was this old Catholic back before the church split. There was only one church. He was a priest in the 1500s. Felt passionate to share the gospel with the people in North Africa. Got on a boat, went over there. They're all Muslims. He starts preaching Jesus. They said, oh man, we like old people here. We don't want to kill you, but we don't like this message. If you stick around, we'll kill you. They put him on a boat and sent him back to Italy. He got back on another boat. He went back to North Africa. Started preaching. And they said, old man, you need to stop this or we're going to kill you. Put him back on the boat. He went back to Italy. You know what he did? He did it again. You're right. He gets back on the boat. He goes into a public square and begins preaching Jesus. And they said, we told you so. And there Raymond Lowe gave his life and they killed him. Pointless, meaningless death of an old dude. Right? No. God's got a plan. 500 years later, researcher George Ogis Jr. was going through that town and came upon a strange story that in that very town where Raymond Law laid down his life for the gospel on one night in the early 90s, 500 Muslims had the exact same dream of Jesus. God's got a plan. It's been said many times, but God's not going to waste your pain. But sometimes the issue is timing. And sometimes the issue is we need to be spirit-led. Some of you are so overwhelmed by everything going on. You're like, man, I need to be doing this, and I need to be doing this. And man, you know, if you're not doing this, and social media shows you all the perfect parents out there, and all the hip, cool kids out there, and how everybody's, you know, eating vegan and doing all this kind of stuff. And you're like, what do I do, Lord? This is too much. The pressure is too much. I have seen more anxiety among young people than I've ever seen in all of history. We have 15, 16 year olds who can't go to school because they're under such pressure. And God wants to say, I want to lead you. Because I know all of these things are important, but I want to lead you because I have a plan for your life. Would you let me lead you? Allow these other things to go quiet. And then finally... I'm here to tell some of you that because it's going hard doesn't mean that God's not with you. It's actually the opposite. That it's God's direction in your life that's led you to a hard place because your hard place will bring Him glory. There'll be a book of Philippians. There will be a book of encouragement. There will be stories that will guide your family for generations. Because in that hard place you will learn to worship Jesus. Is that a popular message? No. Is that the truth? Yeah, absolutely. Because we see it in the Scriptures over and over again. So this morning as we close, can we just close our eyes real quick? 
and I don't know how you do this. I'm sorry. I don't know how Chris does it. So I'll just do it my way. And if I do it wrong, you'll forgive me, right? And if I do it wrong, and if you don't, well, I'll be gone next week anyway. So Here's the deal. If that's you, if you can respond to one of those four things, I'd just like you to lift a hand, not to me, but to heaven, saying, Lord, I recognize that you're speaking to me this morning. Is that anybody? Timing, difficulty, confusion with the will of God. You're right in the middle of something and you're not liking it. Yep. Yep. If you raise your hand, you're not by yourself because they're going up all over the place. God has a plan. God has a deep love for you and for the needs that you carry in your heart. He wants to bring you comfort that He's with you. God loves the nations and you are among them. Father, thank you. You can put your hands down. You've seen these hands lifted up to you. I pray that you would minister to them today. You'd minister to those who are not here today for whatever reason. Lord, let us carry each other's burdens. Let us walk through the difficult days into the things that you have with a confidence that even though we can't see your will, we are in the middle of your will. And we love you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.